Welcome to the Red Light Report, your number one source for all things red light therapy, where you will learn how to optimize your health, wellness, and longevity with the power of photobiomodulation. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. Hey guys, hope you're having a fantastic week so far, wherever you are on this planet. Welcome back to another episode of the Red Light Report. Today is going to be a solo-sode, so you're going to listen to my lovely voice for the next however many minutes as I go over some research, some more red light therapy-specific stuff today. We've had some great interviews the past you know, month or two. Last couple of weeks, we did the two-part series about evidence-based biohacking, and you guys got to learn about the study that BioLite did with BioStrap Labs, and we went over those results with Kevin last week. And so I'm going to go over those results a little more in detail. While we did dive deeper with Kevin, he gave some good points and and talked about the the results. I'm just going to bring it back here, review it again, maybe a little slower, go into some of the nuances that we didn't get to with Kevin, so you guys can learn a little bit more about the discovery and the results we had with our BioLite-specific products. That's pretty cool. And then I'll go over a couple of other pieces of research in this podcast as well. One having to do with preconditioning the skin for UV exposure. So you can use it almost as a a pseudo sunscreen, if you will. You'll learn about that. And then also another piece of research looking at eye health. And this is something I posted a week or two ago on social media. Some pretty cool new revelatory findings about red light therapy, exposure, and eye health. So those are the topics we'll cover today. And before we get started with the BioLite study, I just wanted to announce that BioLite will be the platinum sponsor for Biohacking Congress events in 2022. There's going to be three events. The first one is in Las Vegas in March, March 19th and 20th. So if you're in the area or just itching to get to a biohacking event, that will be one to go to, Vegas, March 19th and 20th. And then the next Biohacking Congress event will be in Boston, the other side of the country, June 11th and 12th. So if you're on the East Coast or around the Boston area, come visit us at our booth, June 11th and 12th. And also we'll be back in Miami in October, October 22nd and 23rd. And I'll be presenting on red light therapy at all three of those events. So please, please join us at those events, Las Vegas, Boston, Miami. Come swing by our booth, talk to us, engage with us. We love, you know, just engaging with the customers or just biohacking people that are wanting to learn more about optimizing their health, wellness, and longevity. And yes, I'll be presenting on red light therapy, hopefully switching up my presentations throughout all three events so that they don't get too stale or Uh, repetitive. So I'll be bringing some new red light therapy info to those events. But without further ado, let's get into the BioStrap Labs study. So as you heard last week, if you listened to the episode last week, it was an eight-week study. And the first two weeks, let me backpedal here a moment, the importance or the uniqueness of this study is that we were using BioStrap devices, wearables, so that we were able to measure people's biometrics instantaneously for eight weeks. So with the biometrics, if you're familiar with, you know, like Aura Ring or, or Whoop, BioStrap, 
Fitbit, you're able to get some pretty cool data. You can get resting heart rate, measure heart rate variability. You can measure different cycles of sleep, deep sleep, light sleep. You can also measure vascular integrity, I believe, with Biostrap. So you're able to collect a lot of great data constantly, so around the clock. So the way the, the study was set up, it's an eight-week study. The first two weeks, we just captured data. So they were just wearing the Biostrap, going along, doing their daily lives, collecting their data to get a normal baseline for their biometrics. And then the subsequent four weeks, we introduced full body red light therapy with the BioLite Restore. And so the protocol we used was 10 minutes in the morning. So you did five minutes in the front of your body, five minutes in the back of your body, first thing in the morning. And then in the evening, relatively close uh, to when you're going to bed, same thing, 10 minutes total, five minutes in the front, five minutes in the back, about six to 12 inches away using red and near infrared light for all treatments. So that's what we did for four weeks after we collected data for two weeks. And keep in mind, they're always wearing the bio strap. So we're collecting data as they're doing their red light therapy treatments as well. Because going into this study, we were looking and hoping to see some positive results with sleep. So we were thinking this was going to be some type of a, of a sleep study. Um, but back, back to the study design. So we did two weeks baseline, four weeks of intervention, and then two weeks of a washout phase, which essentially means they stopped using red light therapy. They just carried along with their normal lives, just like they were the first two weeks, but we were continuing to collect data with the BioStrap and collecting that biometric data for two more weeks to see what kind of effects they were getting post red light therapy treatment and or seeing how long did those results last. Once they stopped using red light therapy, did they just lose the benefits? Was there any carryover? So we're trying to collect that type of data. Some of the measurements we were able to gather with the uh, BioStrap is the heart rate variability, blood oxygen saturation, respiratory rate, arterial compliance, like I was talking about kind of a sleep analysis, pretty comprehensive sleep data. And then they were given a daily survey. So we had 24 participants in the study, 13 were female, 11 were male. And the only thing they changed during this study was integrating red light therapy. Nothing else was changed as far as they weren't restricted with any type of diet or exercise or certain sleep parameters. They were just continuing to do their daily life. And then for those four weeks in the middle of the study, they integrated that full body red light therapy. We were hoping to see some cool results with the sleep, like getting into deep sleep, longer deep sleep, who knows what was going to happen with heart rate or heart rate variability. But that was kind of our hypothesis going into the study, looking to see how it affected sleep, trying to get some cool results for sleep. But the longitudinal results were that there was no significant changes over the course of the intervention, but the resting heart rates were lowest at the start of the washout. So meaning they did the red light therapy for those four weeks and then the beginning of the washout. So the heart rates were lower at the start of the washout and then significantly increased throughout the washout, meaning red light therapy helped bring down their resting heart rate. And once they stopped using red light therapy, their resting heart rate started to go up again. So there seemed to be some sort of positive effect with resting heart rate. And then same thing with deep sleep but the opposite, if, if you will, meaning deep sleep was higher at the start of the washout and then decreased throughout the washout, meaning they were using red light therapy. And over the course of those four weeks, their deep sleep was going up, 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 up. 
They stopped using red light therapy, and then their deep sleep started to decrease throughout that two-week washout. So, and if, if you listen to the last episode with Kevin as he was breaking down the study, I don't know if you guys heard it, but he said, we basically got as close as you can possibly get without getting statistically significant information relative to these two points of data, relative to these two points of sleep information. So we were so, so close to getting these statistically significant results. Like he said, had we carried out the study one or two more weeks, we would have gotten those, but we didn't. Regardless though, the trends were there and I'll just review. So the resting heart rate went down with red light therapy use and deep sleep went up with red light therapy use and they went opposite directions with discontinuation of um, the BioLite Restore usage. And also, other results, their sleep scores, which is kind of a conglomerate of information that you get. So you get a re- sleep and recovery scores with, with the BioStrap, and they both follow that same trajectory as deep sleep and resting heart rate, meaning their scores were going in a positive direction with the use of red light therapy and then started tapering in the opposite direction with the discontinuation of the BioLite two times a day. And so the interpretation of the results, this is written by Kevin, who is the chief science officer of BioStrap. He said, the effects of BioLite did not elicit a statistically significant change on nocturnal biometrics. Resting heart rate, deep sleep, and sleep and recovery scores did not change significantly over the course of four weeks of BioLite usage, but these results suggest that it may be a slow but noticeable trend that may continue with a greater intervention duration or therapeutic protocol. However, there was a significant withdrawal effect following discontinuation of LLLT or low-level light therapy that should be further investigated. So just like the results we talked about, there were metrics going in positive directions for us, but the four weeks just wasn't enough. Had we done a longer, had we changed the protocol a little bit, maybe we would have attained those results we were hoping to see to be statistically significant. And then moving on to the pulse reports, and this is kind of the exciting results that we did get. Not that those previous results weren't exciting, they just weren't statistically significant, but a couple of results we did attain that we weren't necessarily looking for was the change we got in heart rate variability. That was the big one. We saw a 122% increase in high-frequency heart rate variability. And we also saw a 28% decrease in the stress index. So both of these being related to stress, heart rate variability, giving you the ability to tap into your parasympathetic nervous system where most of us were in this fight or flight sympathetic state because we're on the go, 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 stress, stress, stress. Rarely do we take enough time for ourselves to decompress, de-stress. And so these pulse reports from the BioStrap biometrics is showing that not just over the course of four weeks, but within one 10-minute session, you're increasing your high-frequency heart rate variability by 122%. Meaning, the interpretation of these results is that by simply using red light therapy, a simple 10-minute session, you're able to significantly lower your stress and tap into your parasympathetic nervous system. So... Like I was saying, even though we weren't looking or necessarily targeting these types of results, that's what happens in research. We went in with our hypothesis about improving quality of sleep, and we walk out with some really, really cool research 
on being able to reduce stress almost instantly with red light therapy. To my knowledge, there isn't any other photobiomodulation or red light therapy research that was looking specifically at heart rate variability. So these are cool, really exciting results for us to get in this BioLite BioStrap lab study. To wrap it up, there's a couple of surveys, like I mentioned in the beginning of this study. There's a couple of surveys that were taken throughout the duration of the study. And so some of the significant findings with the survey is that the participants found there was a 40% decrease in perceived musculoskeletal pain from baseline to end intervention phases. So over, over the two months, those that were dealing with pain, you know, these are typically active people. They're using BioStrap to begin with. The musculoskeletal pain was almost cut in half over those eight weeks. And keep in mind, this was over the course of four weeks, excuse me, with, with the intervention phases. So when they began using BioLite after four weeks, their pain was almost cut in half. And as far as muscle soreness, just from working out, exercising, moving, their muscle soreness was cut by a quarter. So 23% decrease in muscle soreness from baseline to end intervention phase. So that's the cool thing about red light therapy. You might go ahead and use it because you're trying to improve your sleep, but you're also reducing your stress. You're also reducing musculoskeletal pain. You're also driving down muscle soreness along with all the other benefits we know about red light therapy. So that's what's so cool. And this, that's what always gets me revved up about red light therapy is that it's a kind of a Swiss army knife of treatments. It's safe. It's effective. You get to do it in the comfort of your home whenever you want. And at the tip of your fingers with this technology, you have the potential for so many healing benefits, health, wellness, longevity, and you know tapping into the mitochondrial side of things. And it's just endless. I haven't seen any other research on heart rate variability and red light therapy. So this may be a whole different sector of photobiomodulation research going forward is figuring out how to perfect or make these protocols more specific to tap into your heart rate variability even better. So who knows what the future holds, but we surely know that the research is only going to come out and show us that red light therapy can do more than we know now. It's just the tip of the iceberg and that you can darn well take that to the bank just knowing how red light therapy affects the mitochondria and the fact that mitochondria are in virtually every single cell in our body and the red light therapy affects the mitochondria. So there's probably diseases, diagnoses, health and wellness conditions uh, that haven't even been studied specifically with red light therapy that positively are affected by red light therapy. That's what I would guesstimate. That's kind of the wrap-up of the BioStrap lab study. Super exciting. Super glad we were able to do that and get some cool findings. Darn near statistically significant for sleep, but statistically significant for reducing stress. Pretty darn cool. Moving on to our next piece of research, we're going to look at preconditioning your skin for UV exposure. So again, kind of like a, a, a pseudo sunscreen, but using light instead of topical liquid or ointment, whatever you want to call it. And the title of this article is LED photo prevention. I kind of like that photo prevention, reduced MED response following multiple LED exposures, MED being minimal erythema doses, which is how much UV light does it take for you to start getting a reddish color in your skin, which precedes sunburn, of course. This research article, it's from 2008. It's not necessarily a new hallmark study that just came out, but it's unique and 
I do love things that we can do for preconditioning wise, whether it's with exercise, we can do it with our skin, we can do it for cognitive tasks, we can do it for noise induced hearing loss. So with preconditioning, you do red light therapy prior to a certain activity, typically uh, 15 to 30 minutes or so before an activity. So if you're going to exercise, you do red light therapy to the muscles, you're going to be working the hardest, and that'll help reduce soreness, recover quicker. And then during your exercise, it'll help you increase strength, increase power and increase endurance. And so along those same lines with LED photo prevention relative to the sun, we're doing red light therapy to the skin prior to sun exposure. So in the study, they looked at 13 healthy subjects, so not very big, that were exposed to five, six or 10 LED treatments. And they were using 660 nanometers for red, which is the most common that you'll see in LED red light therapy products. And so they were doing it to the anterior thigh region where they would do one side of the thigh that was getting irradiated with UV light. And then prior to the UV irradiation, they were getting that red light LED. And on the other thigh, the subjects were not getting irradiated with red light LED, but they were getting irradiated with UV. So in essence, one side was being protected by red light therapy. The other side was not. The results of the study are pretty darn compelling. Overall, there was a significant reduction in UVB-induced urethema reaction that was observed in at least one occasion of 85% of the subjects, including subjects that suffered from polymorphous light eruption. Overall, there was less redness for each tested minimal urethema dose on the pre-treated experiment areas compared to controlled areas. So those that were pre-treated with red light therapy overall had less redness. And there were significant urethema reductions observed for most subjects in each group. And so the results suggest that the LED treatments with red light reduced the ultraviolet-induced urethema reaction in a dose-related manner. The average reduction in urethema response was consistent across minimal urethema doses with a range of 31 to 43%. So the conclusion of the article is that they observed that more UVB intensity was required to achieve the urethema response, the redness on the skin that was previously irradiated with the red light LED, underlined for the first time a potential SPF-like sun protection index in vivo. Overall, these results, although observed in a small sample of subjects, suggest that a state of cellular resistance to UV insults was induced following LED photoprophylaxis. That's even a better word. LED photoprophylaxis. And so the nuts and bolts is irradiating the skin with the red light allowed the subjects, that skin, that anterior thigh skin, to be irradiated with UV light for longer before they saw redness in their skin. Redness being, again, an indicator that the skin's being exposed to UV a little too long. You go long enough, you get the sunburn. When you irradiate the skin, pre-treat it with red light therapy, specifically red light only, you're able to be exposed to that same UVB light longer prior to seeing any redness in your skin, indicative of a sunburn if you stay out much longer. Pretty cool. I mean, again, I wouldn't rely on this as your sole sunscreen per se. But again, if you have a panel or if you have a device or you know you're going to be outside for, you know, semi-extended period of time, know that red light therapy can help 
save your skin and any DNA degradation that you see from UV overexposure to UV light, red light therapy can help. And especially if you have a full body panel, doing full body red light front and back prior to being outside, and then compound that potentially with some astaxanthin, which is extremely beneficial prior to going out in the sun. Just like red light therapy, the study explained here, if you take astaxanthin at least 30 to 60 minutes prior to going outside, same thing. You're able to be outside longer prior to getting that redness in the skin that, again, precedes sunburns. So you start compounding these things, and you have a pretty holistic way of keeping your skin healthy, keeping your skin safe while being outside in the sun. This podcast was brought to you by the Longev Revive Cream. If you haven't heard of this cream before, go back and listen to the podcast interview with David Horanek, one of the people that helped create this amazing cream. The cream is specifically developed to enhance red light therapy treatment sessions. And not only that, but improve vibrational healing from the frequencies of full spectrum sunlight. The Revive includes special ingredients such as photodynamic amino acids, which helps convert UV light to red light. It increases production of this thing called fibronectin, which is said to be the holy grail of anti-aging. And then there's astaxanthin, which has been shown in clinical studies to increase skin moisture, moisture retention, and elasticity. There's turmeric, which contains an antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, and antimicrobial properties. There's copper peptides, which also has antioxidant, anti-inflammatory effects. C60 has high antioxidant power to prevent skin aging, 172 times more than vitamin C. And then there's also geranium rose, shungite, humic acids. And most of these ingredients are organic and they're all high, high quality. So if you want to check this cream out, go to longev.com. That's L-O-N-G-E-V-V.com. Or you can also find it on biolite.shop. That's biolite.shop. So let's move on to the last piece of research, which is about eye health. And this one was really, really cool. Has a lot of cool points. Came out a couple of weeks ago in neurosciencenews.com. The name of this study is Morning Exposure to Deep Red Light Improves Declining Eyesight. So there's a lot of cool take-home points with this piece of research. Just three minutes of exposure to deep red light once a week when delivered in the morning can significantly improve declining eyesight. This was done by some UCL researchers. Deep red, if you guys are wondering, deep red is just the visible red spectrum, longer wavelength of red, which is traditionally used in red light therapy devices. And so this was published in Scientific Reports, and the study actually builds upon the team's previous work, which showed that daily three minutes exposure to long wave deep red light switched on energy-producing mitochondrial cells in the human retina, helping boost naturally declining vision. And so for this latest study, the scientists wanted to establish what effect a single three-minute exposure would have while also using a much lower energy level for the light than the previous study. Building on separate UCL research in flies that found mitochondria displaying shifting workloads depending on the time of day, the team compared morning exposure to afternoon exposure in this research. So that's a pretty interesting point that the mitochondria may have shifting workloads. And we'll, we'll get to this in a moment. 
But in summary, the researchers found that there was, on average, a 17% improvement in participants' color contrast vision when exposed to three minutes of 670 nanometer deep red light in the morning, and the effects of this single exposure lasted for at least a week. However, when the same test was conducted in the afternoon, no improvement was seen. So think about that. One three-minute exposure improved color vision or color contrast 17% for an entire week. And again, it had to be in the morning, not the afternoon. In humans around 40 years old, cells in the eye's retina begin to age, and the pace of this aging is caused in part when the cell's mitochondria start to decline, just like we've talked about in previous episodes with mitochondrial dysfunction leading to all types of health and wellness diseases and ailments. It's a natural part of aging, a quote-unquote natural part of aging, is for the mitochondria for time to become less efficient at producing energy, which leads to a host of issues. One of them is declining eyesight. And that makes sense because our eyes are so mitochondrial dense because our eyes take a lot of energy that there's a lot of mitochondria in there. So it makes sense that when used correctly, red light therapy may be able to help with different aspects of eye health. Other mitochondrial dense tissue would include the heart, the brain, especially those two, especially uh, the liver and skeletal muscle. So those types of tissues are going to be very mitochondrial dense because they're very energy intensive. And with that being said, there's a lot of potential for red light therapy to help in those areas. And so specifically to the eye, the mitochondrial density is greatest in the retina's photoreceptor cells, which have high energy demands, like we mentioned. And as a result, the retina ages faster than other organs with a 70% ATP reduction over life. So cut by over almost three quarters, which this loss in ATP production causes that significant decline in photoreceptor function as they lack the energy to perform their normal role. So the less energy you have, the decreased capability your organs have at producing their roles optimally, or even just in homeostasis normally. And so in this case, you're losing three quarters of your energy production in the receptors in your eyes, and that's what's leading to decreased eyesight. Mitochondrial dysfunction or just decreased mitochondrial effectiveness. And so the lead author, who was Professor Glenn Jeffrey at the UCL Institute of Ophthalmology, he said that mitochondria have specific sensitivities to long wavelength light influencing their performance. Longer wavelength spanning 650 to 900 nanometers improve mitochondrial performance to increase energy production. So simply, Professor Jeffrey is saying that red light will improve the energy producing capabilities of the mitochondria. So we kind of know that. And that's the story for all tissues when you're using red and near-infrared light, whether it's the skin, the eyes, the brain, the thyroid, so on and so forth. That's the underpinning, underlying mechanism of action for increasing mitochondrial health is that these wavelengths are what stimulate the mitochondria to produce energy more effectively. Of course, it's much more scientific and complex than that. But in general, that's why we're seeing all these cool results with red light therapy. So going on, the retina's photoreceptor population is formed of cones, and the cones mediate color vision, and the rods 
are what adapts to vision in the low and dim light. And so this study focused specifically on the cones and observed color contrast sensitivity. So the study, the participants were aged between 34 and 70, had no ocular disease, and completed a questionnaire regarding eye health prior to testing and had normal color vision. Their cone function was normal. And this was assessed with a chroma test, which is commonly used. And what they used to treat the eyes was an LED device. And they were exposed for three minutes, 670 nanometers of that deep red light, in the morning between 8 and 9 a.m. And their color vision was then again tested three hours post-exposure. And 10 of the participants were also tested one week post-exposure. And again, on average there was a significant 17% improvement in color vision, which lasted for a week. And in some of the older participants that had a greater deficit, there was a 20% improvement also lasting a week. And a few months on from the first test, six of the 20 participants carried out the same test in the afternoon, this time between noon and 1 p.m. instead of 8 to 9 a.m. And when participants then had their color vision tested, it showed zero improvement. So pretty crazy. And so Professor Jeffrey said, using a simple LED device once a week recharges the energy system that has declined in the retina cells, rather like recharging a battery. And that's what I emphasize over and over again is that red light is recharging the human battery. And it's no different with the eyes, obviously. You're recharging the battery, the mitochondria, that live in the retinas, that live in the eyes, that produce energy that you need for eyesight. And so this is a really cool piece of research because it showed not only is red light therapy effective for improving, in this case, color vision significantly with one three-minute session that also lasted a full week with one session, but secondly, timing matters. And I get that question all the time as it relates to red light therapy. When is the optimal time When's the best time to do this specific treatment? And there isn't that much research out there that's looking at timing, whereas this one did. So that's really exciting because, again, I think as research comes out, we're not only going to find new ways that red light therapy can be used, but we're going to find timing for certain treatments or pathologies, such as this one. Apparently, using red light in the morning is much more effective than the afternoon because, in fact, there's zero effectiveness when using red light therapy for eye health in the afternoon. And that brings back the point of uh, the mitochondria having shifting workloads, which was explained or, or brought forth in the beginning of this article, shifting workloads. So the mitochondria may indeed work in shifts depending on energy needs. So again, I think as research goes on, we may find that there's an optimal time for cognitive health, an optimal time for sleep, an optimal time for thyroid function, for brain function, for boosting your mood. So just really wanted to bring this piece of research to you guys, not only to show you another piece of research about eyesight, because I get that all the time, but also to show you that there's new and cool things coming from this photobiomodulation research. This one showing the timing does emphatically matter when you're trying to treat for eyesight, declining eyesight. And, you know, speaking of, you know, eye health and red light therapy, I actually just put an eye health page on the BioLite website under our learn pages. So that is just chock full of other research related to 
red light therapy and eye health. Um, it's actually one of the pages that has the most research. Um, I'll just read a couple of these off for you guys because I think it's pretty darn interesting. Um, a couple of these quotes from studies. This one says that these findings show that subjects with dry, age-related macular degeneration in earlier stages of the disease are more likely to respond better to photobiomodulation compared to subjects with a more advanced disease and extensive central tissues. This study demonstrated that 670 nanometer photobiomodulation ameliorates or improves the damaging effects of bright, continuous light on the retina. Treatments with 670 light before, during, or even after exposure to bright white light led to a significant reduction in photoreceptor cell death and prevented the severe disruption of the outer retina and the retinal pigmentum epithelium. Uh, Let's see if I can do another shorter one here. Regarding diabetic retinopathy, the treated eyes using red light of all patients demonstrated a statistically significant decrease in macular thickness by an average of 20%, while non-treated eyes featured a slight increase in thickness by 3% on average. But there's darn near a dozen more pieces of research I've cited here and lots of information. So go, if you're interested in eye health and what red light therapy can potentially do for eye health, check out that page on, on BioLite, BioLite.shop. And go to the learn page, check out eye health, and there's a lot of cool information there. So I hope that was a pretty good overall, little quick and dirty review of some research. Got to go over the BioLite study a little deeper, looked at preconditioning the skin with red light therapy, and then how red light, three minutes, one morning per week, can increase your declining eyesight by 17%. Pretty cool stuff. So I hope you guys found this interesting. I always get revved up when I when I read the research because I know new and better things are coming our way for red light therapy. Um, not, not that they're not already there. I mean, it's amazing what light can do to improve your health. I know that more and better research will be coming our way. And that's why I do this podcast, so I can bring that information to the masses so more people can learn and take control of their own health with a relatively cheap piece of technology. And remember, when in doubt, get sun exposure, a safe amount of sun exposure, because that is your best bet for getting your mitochondria the light it needs. Red light therapy is simply fixing a deficiency in red and near-infrared light because we live a predominantly indoor life. So when possible, get your light outside. If you're trying to treat something specific or fix that deficiency, use red light therapy. But hope you guys have a fantastic week with whatever you're doing. And we'll continue forward with some more fun interviews in the next podcasts. And when there's more exciting research to bring your way, I'll do another interesting solo sode. You guys have a great one. Take care, be well, and have a happy, happy holiday season. Thank you for listening to the Red Light Report. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms to help spread the word so other people can learn about the many health, wellness, and longevity benefits of red light therapy. If you're looking for more educational content, check out our Instagram page at biolite.shop and our YouTube channel, Biolite. I'm Dr. Mike Belkowski, and I'll see you on the next episode.